Welcome to the Bible Truth Podcast with Ron and Tim Reynolds, pastors and Bible teachers. Pastor Ron and Pastor Tim combined for more than 70 years of teaching and preaching God's Word. Listen now as they share the eternal truths of the Bible. Hello and welcome to the Bible Truth for Living program. This is Pastor Tim Reynolds, your host. Before we get into the message, I would like to say Happy Mother's Day to all the ladies who are uh, able to join us this morning. We appreciate all of the uh, mothers and grandmothers and wives and ladies that are special in our lives. Thank you so much for all that you do, and we hope you have a blessed Mother's Day. Today, I'm going to bring a message titled Heart Religion from the book of 2 Kings chapter 22, beginning with verse 8. Now, let me give you a little setting of what's going on in this passage of Scripture. The nation of Judah has drifted spiritually and morally away from God. They've had some bad leaders, and uh, the nation has just gone downhill because of the poor leadership. But then a young man uh, named Josiah became the king of Judah, actually at the young age of eight years old. And uh, the Bible says that his heart was for the Lord, and he began to turn the nation around with some of his decisions. And that's what's going on here. Now, at this time, he's about 18 years old. And the Bible says in 2 Kings 22 and verse 8, And Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Now, let me stop right there. You know things are spiritually depressed, spiritually off track when it's breaking news that the uh, law of God has been found in the house of God. Uh, where had it been all this time? What have the priests uh, and the prophets even been using to teach the people? We don't know, but nevertheless, they have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord, the high priest says. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king. Now this would be King Josiah and brought the king word again and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of them that do the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. See, they had been collecting monies to make improvements to the uh, to the temple, which at that time would have been the first temple, Solomon's temple, but the money had just been sitting there. They basically had neglected the house of the Lord. So they neglected the word of God and they neglected the house of God. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. Well, this was not just any book. This was the law. The law we call the the Hebrew Torah. In the Greek, it's called the Pentateuch. It's the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It was like in a scroll or several scrolls. So they, the Bible says, and Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes. He, he tore them as a sign of grief because he has found out that God's judgment is going to be on the nation because they have forgotten him. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahiakim the son of Shaphan and Akbor the son of Melchiah and Shaphan the scribe and Azahiah servant of the king saying, Go ye, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book to do according unto all that which is written concerning us. So once he hears what the book has to say, 
He says, go ask God what's going to happen, what's going to happen to the people, what's going to happen to me as king, what's going to happen to the nation, because the wrath of God is upon us. We have forsaken him. Our fathers have neglected the things of God. And so they did that. And the Bible says in verse 15 that uh, here's what the report is. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, tell the man that sent you to me, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof. Even all the words of the book, which the king of Judah hath read. God says, I'm going to bring judgment. And he, of course, he did. And here's why, verse 17. Because they have forsaken me and have burned incense unto other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be kindled against this place and shall not be quenched. So God says, because they have forsaken me, they've crossed my deadline uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna send judgment. But here's the good news, and here's where we're going with this message, verse 18. But to the king of Judah, which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which thou hast heard, because thine heart was tender, and that that's our focus today is a tender heart. Because thou heart thy heart was tender. And thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord when thou heardest what I spake against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse and has rent thy clothes and wept before me. I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. Behold, therefore, I will gather thee unto thy fathers and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace and thine eyes shall not see all the evil which I will bring upon this place. And they brought the king word again. So the message to the king was because you have shown humility and because you have had a tender heart toward the things of God, judgment is coming, but I'm going to hold it back for a while because of your response to what has happened. And the main thing I want us to see here is that this king had a tender heart. Now let's get into the message. We've titled this Heart Religion. In the 1600s in this nation, the Puritans who came to America emphasized what they called heart religion. That is, stressing the importance of maintaining a tender heart toward God and toward his word. However, as we know through history, the colonies began to form in the New World during the 1700s. And at that time, a spiritual malaise settled in America. People began to forget about God and his word. They were more focused on prosperity and finding land to settle in and, and getting the economy going. And it wasn't until about 1740 that a spiritual revival or renewal began to break out up and down the eastern seaboard. It would become the nation's first national media story. The newspapers of the day were all writing about this national revival, and we know it as the Great Awakening. It was led by notable preachers and hymn writers like George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, and Isaac Watts. Now, as you study the sermons of these men and their devotionals, their journals, their hymns, you discover that they focused on the judgment of God, the need for repentance and salvation, as well as focusing on having a tender heart toward God and his word. One of the reasons that they, the people began to have a tender heart was because war was about to break out. Britain was sending over more troops. The king was putting more pressure on the colonies. 
and their heart was tender and open to the preaching of these men. And because of that, the great awakening occurred. Many people were were saved. Now, during that time, there was also a Puritan man named Jeremiah Burroughs. And here's what he said about this matter of a tender heart. He said, quote, a tender heart is such a heart as doth easily yield to God and yield to God's touch. Lay your finger upon wool and it yields, but lay your finger upon a stone and it will not yield. Lay your finger upon flesh and flesh will yield, but lay your finger upon iron and that will not yield. A heart that yields to God, that's the soft, tender heart. The heart that holds out against God, that's the hard heart. When a man or a woman will easily yield to the touch of God's word, he or she shall easily be convinced by God's word, end of quote. Now, in in the text that I read to you uh, today, King Josiah apparently had a tender heart, and because of that, revival came to uh, to the nation of Judah. The Great Awakening, that great revival, focused on tender hearts and repentance and the judgment of God, and revival came to the American colonies. Uh, and of of course, the primary reason revival came was because of the moving of the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you today, we need revival in America. We we are so far away from God, uh, it, it's embarrassing. And the only hope for revival in America today, in our homes, in our churches, even in the personal lives of people, is a return to the heart religion of the Puritans, that is having a tender heart. I want to share with you today four necessities of having a tender heart. Number one, a tender heart is necessary for conviction, conviction. Now that word conviction is an old fashioned revival term that we seem to have forgotten in the 21st century church. When you talk about conviction, I'm talking about the kind of thing that makes you sweat when the preacher is preaching, that causes you to take shallow breaths and grab the back of a pew or a hymnal, or that causes you to think that the preacher must be speaking directly to you. That's conviction. We don't see much of that today. People don't get convicted much by the preaching of God's word. I wonder why. Well, the Bible tells us that that's what it would be like just prior to the return of Christ. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. The conscience seared means that things don't bother people like they used to. Think about it. The things that are on our radios, on our televisions, uh, at the movies, even just commercials today, uh, things that would have just embarrassed us uh, a few years ago. Now we just tolerate it and we're just used to it. What's happened is that it's called a, it has caused a seared conscience in the people of America. And so when the word of God is preached, and people are warned of judgment and uh, and these sort of things. People don't come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit because their conscience has been seared. Now, what today's American church has tried to do through music and performance-based services uh, is to get people through some sort of emotional experience to become convicted. Preachers have become more like life coaches and uh, uh, spiritual uh, encouragers rather than preachers of God's word. 
But beloved, it is only through the word of God that conviction will come. Why? Because it is the word of God that breaks the fallow ground of a hard, unrepentant heart. You know, this time of year as the farmers go into the field, they don't just put the seed out first thing. They have to go out and they plow up that ground. They they get the ground ready for the seed. That fallow ground that is hard has to be broken up in order for the seed to be planted. The same thing applies to the heart. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12, sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. You have planted or you have plowed wickedness You have reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies because thou didst trust in thy way in the multitude of thy mighty men. God says you need to break up that fallow ground. You need to get the heart ready. You know, uh, you think about how we respond to the preaching of God's word. Uh, You have the story there in Jonah. Remember, Jonah was told to go preach to the people of Nineveh. He didn't want to go. And in fact, he ended up three days and three nights in what you might call Whale University. He he, uh, had to learn the hard way. But when he went back to preach, something interesting happened. He began to preach, and I'm going to read Jonah chapter 3 and verse 4. The Bible says, And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was his message. It wasn't a pleasant message, a feel-good message. It was, you got 40 days and you're in trouble. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. Here's why they did that. The next verse, for word came unto the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne. And he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. It always begins with leadership. When the king did that, then the people followed suit. He caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn. That word turn, we would say repent. That's what repentance is. It's a turning. Let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them and he did it not. You see, God held back his judgment because of the response of the king and the people. They repented and they got things right and judgment didn't come. Now, it would take a few years, but the people would return to sin and finally that judgment did come. What I'm saying though is God will hold back his judgment when we express a tender heart toward him and a tender heart is necessary for conviction. What substance is tough enough to hold back the raging waters of God's righteous judgment today? The ironic answer is not having a iron tough heart, but having a tender heart. Pharaoh in Egypt had to learn that the hard way, didn't he? He wouldn't let the people go. The Bible says he just continued to harden his heart and he had to lose everything uh, to realize that God meant business. A tender heart is necessary for conviction. Number two, a tender heart is necessary for correction. Now, even after we are saved, we need correction once in a while. How we respond to correction is often based on the condition of our heart. Is our heart tough or is our heart tender? Now, the book of Proverbs uh, contrasts the difference in a tough heart and a tender heart. Here's someone with a tough heart, how they respond to correction. Proverbs 15 
and verse 10, correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way, and he that hateth reproof shall die. A scorner loveth not one that reproveth him, neither will he go unto the wise. You see, a fool doesn't like to be corrected. They, they, they get angry at that. Proverbs 29 and verse 1, he that being often reproved or corrected hardeneth his neck shall be suddenly, shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Uh, we used to have a, a German shepherd dog that was a very smart dog, but he was very hard headed. We couldn't hardly teach him anything because he wanted to do his own thing. And we just couldn't hardly work with him because of that. And, you know, some people are that way. And, you know, young people can be that way, but older people can be that same way. And you think, why don't they learn their lesson? They just don't learn it. Well, because instead of learning from correction, they have a tough heart toward it and they just keep making the same mistakes over and over again. But what about someone with a tender heart? Well, let's contrast that. Job chapter 5 and verse 17. Uh, here's what it says. Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore, despise not thou the chastening or correction of the Almighty. You'll be happy when God corrects you. Well, one reason is because it proves you're his child. Uh, and uh, to add to that, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, my son despise not the chastening or correction of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction, for whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. You see, God doesn't correct us because he doesn't like us or he wants to be mean to us. He corrects us because he loves us. He wants us to be on the right path. He knows the, the direction we are headed if we don't get things straightened out. Now, I'm going to say this, and you might even write this down. I think it's a very important principle to understand when we talk about responding to God's correction. Our response to God's correction will determine the severity and the duration of his discipline. I'll say it again. Our response to God's correction, whether that's with a tough or a tender heart, will determine the severity and the duration of God's discipline. You see, God God will discipline, and if we don't get it right, he can bring more severe discipline, and it can linger if we don't get things right. Now, what should a wise person do? Well, if you know you're out of fellowship with God, you know there's some sin in your life, the wise thing to do is confess it. The word confession simply means agreement. You come into agreement with God. God, you're right, and I'm wrong. That's what confession is. First John 1 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we do that, we restore fellowship and move forward. But a foolish person will not do that. They'll hold on to it and uh, find themselves uh, taking longer to be corrected. And God has to put them through more uh, chastisement than what they would have had if they had a tender heart. Number three, a tender heart is necessary for God's calling. God will rarely call someone that has a hard heart. He very rarely calls them into service. Why? Because he's looking for a person with a tender heart and a tender heart is a teachable heart. You see, God doesn't use know-it-alls. Well, I know what to do. I don't, I don't, God won't use you. You know, you have to come to the point, God, tell me what you want me to do. Now, sometimes God will call those hard-hearted people. Uh, think of Saul, you know, Saul was hard-hearted, hard-headed. He was on his way to arrest Christians, probably kill some, uh, but God knocked him to the ground and it took three days of blindness uh, for him to get on track. You know, when he was knocked down, uh, Saul, later we know him as Paul, says, Lord, what do you want me to do? What wilt thou have me do? And sometimes that, that happens. But God 
oftentimes uses those people who are teachable. Not talented, you know, throughout the ministry, I've seen plenty of talented people, but God doesn't use talented people oftentimes. He uses people who will trust him and have a tender heart, a teachable heart. That was Ezra. Ezra the scribe was very instrumental in helping rebuild the second temple. And the Bible says in Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10, for Ezra had prepared his heart. So there's the first thing. Your heart must be prepared to do three things. Number one, to seek the law of the Lord. So Ezra was looking for the law of the Lord, to read it, to study it, uh, to understand it. Number two, and to do it. So now we move from a head knowledge of the word of God to now practicing it. So Ezra sought the, the law of God, then he began to practice it and to do it. And the third thing says, and to teach in Israel his statutes and judgments. So that's the progression. You know, don't think, well, God's going to suddenly call you to teach his word or preach or, or use you in some way. If number one, you've not sought his word, number two, obeyed his word and practiced it. Those two things are prerequisites then for God using you uh, or me uh, in his service in order to teach or however it is that God decides to use us. But a tender heart is necessary for calling. And then number four, a tender heart is necessary for communion. When I talk about communion, I mean a spirit of unity. Ephesians chapter four talks about this. Now this is written to the church. This is for believers. And you know, even within the body of Christ, we are still in the flesh and we still have personalities. We still have things that sometimes will cause disunity and division within the body of Christ. And the number one thing that often happens is that happens with the tongue, what we say. Of course, nowadays you can add to that the keyboard uh, through social media. But let me read to you what the Bible says in Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 29. Paul writes, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now, that's not just talking about curse words. That's talking about words that run people down, uh, that gossips. Don't let any of that come out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying. Edifying means building up. You see, we can either tear people down with our words or we can build people up. That it may minister grace unto the hearers and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Apparently, our words grieve the Holy Spirit. When we tear people down, when we gossip and, and say things that we maybe, maybe they're even true, but we just shouldn't say them. Sometimes they're not true. When we do that, it grieves the Holy Spirit. And he goes on and says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Every one of those things come out of the mouth, come out of the tongue. Now, what comes out of the mouth originates in the heart. The Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Now, here's the, the rest of it. Verse 32, and be you kind one to another, tender hearted. There's our theme for the day, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You see, the words that we say involve the attitudes that are in the heart and they are revealed and released by the tongue. Some things are better left off said. They may bother you, uh, but if if uh, it's not something that is strictly against the word of God, if it's a personality or something maybe you don't like about how somebody looks or dresses or how they play the piano or sing or preach, leave that up to God. Uh, by the way, that especially applies to uh, an elder, uh, and I think that's in age and also in leadership in the church. 
uh, be real careful about criticizing your pastor because God has him there for a purpose. Let God take care of that. You think, well, I don't, I don't think the pastor's doing right. Well, if it's not illegal or it's not against the word of God, you may not like how he preaches or dresses or whatever, but uh, you'd be better off to not even mess with that because God doesn't like it. The Bible says, touch not mine anointed. Uh, you have an example of that in the story of Miriam and Moses. Miriam was Moses' older sister, and Moses had married a woman that Miriam didn't like, and she was criticizing him about that. And the Bible says she got leprosy from it, and Moses had to actually go to God and uh, ask for God to uh, take that leprosy away. And God says, don't, don't criticize my man. Moses is my man. I've called him. I've put him in that position. God is very serious about that. And so the best thing to do is be kind, be tenderhearted, be forgiving. And you know, it says there, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. No one has offended us more than we have offended God. And God has forgiven us on behalf of his son, Jesus Christ. Let me ask you as we close today, what is your heart condition? Is it tough or is it tender toward the things of God? God has a way of tenderizing the heart. He can do that in a variety of ways. We'd be better off to make sure that our heart stays tender. And when we know there's something there between us and God to get it right, get back into fellowship with him, make sure we're in fellowship with one another, and then move forward serving him. I think that would serve us all well. Thank you so much for listening today. Let me encourage you, I'll just tell you this as we uh, get off the, the radio program here, is we also now have the Bible Truth Podcast. This is available on your uh, favorite podcast platform, whether that's iTunes, Podcast Addict. Uh, there's a lot of different podcast platforms, but you can now listen to all of our radio programs, our services, prophecy updates. We're going to be adding interviews soon. And my dad, uh, Dr. Ron Reynolds, many of you know him, uh, he has several uh, studies that he has done that we're going to be adding to this podcast as well. If you'll go to your podcast platform and just search Bible Truth Podcast, you might have to include my name, Tim Reynolds, with it, and uh, you'll get that. And then every time we upload a message, you'll have that available, and you can listen to it while you're mowing the yard, you're out for a walk, uh, exercising, whatever it is, you can listen to it at any time at your convenience. That's the Bible Truth Podcast, and I hope you can catch that and share that information with others. Thank you so much for being a part of the Bible Truth program today. We look forward to being with you again next Sunday. Until then, this is Pastor Tim Reynolds saying may God bless you is my prayer. You've been listening to the Bible Truth Podcast with your host pastors, Tim and Ron Reynolds. They can be contacted on the Mount Vernon Baptist Temple Facebook page, or you may send Pastor Tim an email to T-I-M-R-E-Y-1 at hotmail.com. Or if you prefer, mail correspondence to Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois, 62864. Again, that's Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois 62864. Thank you for listening.